Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. Hello, hello. Well, guys, last week we had baptisms and we had nine people baptized. And it, it, those, those messages and those days for us are the most electric. They are so much fun. And so, um, yep, I, they're showing some pictures. There we go. We got a hot tub. I mean, come on, it's a party. Anyhow, we had a great time with that last week. So if you missed it, you missed it. But we'll have more in September. Um, one other thing is James is just so excited about Growth Track that he wants it to be every single month. But this time it's going to be in August. So hold your horses and get to Growth Track in August. Now, with that, a family was having guests to dinner. And they all sat down at the table, and the mother said to their six-year-old daughter, she said, you know, how do you feel about giving the, the prayer? Can you, can you bless the meal? And the girl said, well, Mom, I don't, I don't really know what to say. So the mom said, well, honey, that's fine. Just, just say what you hear Mommy say. And so everybody bowed their heads, and the little girl sighs deeply and says, dear Lord, why did I invite all these people to dinner? <laughs> Well, if I haven't met you, my name is Becca, and my husband Samuel and I have the absolute privilege of serving together here at LifeWest. And today, I'm going to be continuing the message series that we're doing, which is Pray. And if you haven't heard the other messages in the series already, I encourage you to hop online, listen to them, as Samuel laid a great foundation to what prayer is. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that as this word is delivered, that it would not be information but that through you it would be revelation that brings transformation into our hearts and spirits. Anoint this word and posit in every heart what you want us to hear and allow it to bring forth much fruit. In your powerful, loving name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, I am going to try to stay on task because I have like a lot of stuff that I want to say, but I'm very good at finding tangents. So if anybody sees me like going off tangent, just be like, get to the point, okay? Our first child, Avery, was born in 2007, and after a few days in the hospital, it was time for us to head home, so they discharged us, and Samuel got Avery strapped into her car seat, he got me situated in the front seat of the truck, and off we went. And we're a couple blocks down the road, and we look at each other, and we're like, why, like, we just, we've been entrusted with that life in the back seat, like, we have no clue what to do. We literally have no clue. And I was like, did they forget to give us something when we left? Like, did they forget the checklist of what we're supposed to do for the next 18 years? You know, all we got was a watch this video made in 1984 and a, hey, good luck, uh, don't mess this up. And you know, while that's funny, I feel like that's a lot of times how Christians approach their relationship to God. We become saved, we ask Jesus into our heart, and then we think that he says, good luck, don't mess this up, and then he's gone. But that isn't the case. You know, it's very cliche to say, but God really is just a prayer away. Um, you guys may not know this, but you are what Samuel and I have been praying for for 14 years. Every single one of you. Every person filling a seat, Every kid that's back in Life Kids praising, every member of the dream team that serves here at Life West, you are the answer to our prayer for awakening of the Holy Spirit 
to move in West Michigan. Since Samuel and I got married, we have had a distinct call to build the local church. We knew that no matter what our occupation was, we were going to be working alongside Jesus to build his church, however that was. And we wanted to be able to have the influence to affect people's lives in Jesus' name. You know, this, this isn't a, a pat me on the back for my holiness message, though. Uh, James was just talking about growth track. And growth track is a, is a class that kind of it's, helps you figure out the gifts that God gave you. And in that, in the growth track, we take a spiritual assessment test, whatever, and you can, dis, you can see what your spiritual gifts are. You're scored anywhere from 3 to 15, so I will tell you that I take this test all the time because I'm, I geek out on assessments and personal assessments too much, Sam thinks. Anyhow, I take this uh, assessment quite often, and I consistently score a three or a four in prayer. Consistently. So I'm not standing up here as somebody who wakes up at 3 a.m. just with a burden to pray for the lost. I'm not, I'm not somebody who's standing up here who says that prayer has always just come really, really naturally to me. But I am standing up here as somebody who has found that I cannot live my life without prayer. I cannot live my life without the closeness to God that prayer, that prayer gives me. And so this isn't, this isn't a message of me telling you to do something that I'm not willing to do. This is a message that I'm, I'm preaching, but I'm willing to walk as well. So yes, Samuel and I have prayed for an awakening in West Michigan. But before us, there were so many others that prayed. Joe and Laura Potgetter are some of those. I loved hearing the story when we, when we first started saying, you know, we're going we're gonna to plant the church in Allendale and meeting with people, and they're like, we have been praying for this. We have been praying this for so long. And generations of people have been praying for the movement of the Holy Spirit in West Michigan to be planted in a church. And so I don't want you to think for one second that Life West is a seed that was planted in September of last year. Because it's really, Life West is, is a plant that's it's just pushing through the soil and it's beginning to sprout. But it, it, was, it was laid, it was planted, and the seed was planted generations ago by people who fervently prayed. Um, John 4, 38. I love this scripture. I have sent you out to a harvest field that you haven't planted, where many others have labored long and hard before you, and now you are privileged to profit from their labors and reap the harvest. You may or may not have heard of a group called the Moravians. It was actually a small group out of Germany, 24 men and 24 women, who had seen uh, so much division in their local church. They had seen a decline in, in prayer, and they got together and they committed to pray for revival and for a move of the Holy Spirit. And so this prayer that began with 24 men and 24 women lasted 100 years. Not 100 days, it lasted 100 years. And it was the birthplace for sending out of more than 300 missionaries, many of them to America. One was John Wesley. And what those missionaries brought with them was they brought with them a fervency for prayer because they knew what prayer could do. And you know, God has, God has always worked through men and women on this earth, and he isn't done with that yet. He doesn't just fly around and take care of everything by himself. He works through us. And consistently, if you look in scripture, the people God worked through were people who prayed. 
They were people who fasted. They were people who sought God, who knew who he was, and who had an awakening to what he wanted in the world. You know, as humans, I think, we tend to get egos, and we think, oh, prayer, that's passive, and I can do so much more than that. So we think, we, we just think that prayer isn't powerful. But prayer is one of the absolute best ways to shift atmospheres and futures. James 5.16 says that the effective Fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much. I want to sit here and unpack this verse for a minute. Effective prayer. It isn't a wishy-washy babbling of self-centered one-liners, right? It actually, effective prayer has nothing to do with my effectiveness. It has nothing to do with your effectiveness. It has everything to do with the effectiveness of God. We need to know who it is that we're praying to, and we need to pray word-based prayers. It's about looking at scripture and it's about saying, okay, God, you did it here, you did it here, you did it here, and God, I am asking you to show up and do it again. What does fervent mean? Fervent means passionate prayer. The actual definition of fervent is having or displaying a passionate intensity of feeling. I have this naturally. Like, I naturally, everything is almost too passionate. You know, Sam, Sam's like, like often, you know, if I'm talking to the kids, he's like, bring it down just a little, okay? But some of you might be looking at me and saying, oh, Bebek, you don't know me. I'm not that guy. I'm, I'm quiet. I don't get revved up too easily. Well, guess what? I call your bluff because I have seen what quiet people do when their favorite football team scores. I have seen some pretty fervent yelling when the Lions are down yet again. Not so subtle jab. Go, Pat, go. <laughs> Anyhow, we, you know, we have fervency, but we're more passionate about football than we are about Jesus. We have that fervency, but we just haven't learned how to apply it to the area of prayer. Now look, a fervent prayer doesn't necessarily mean a loud prayer. Jesus wasn't loud in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he was so fervent that he sweat drops of blood. It has nothing to do with our volume level. It has to do with our intensity level. And a fervent prayer is saying, I am going to sit here and pray until I get results. I'm going to stay in a spirit of receiving until I hear from you. Romans 12, verses 11, 12 tells us to be fervent in spirit and to always keep praying Fervent, effective prayer is a refining tool. It grows a stronger connection between God and you or God and myself. You know, it's not, so many people think prayer is going to God, who's the big spiritual ATM in the sky, and saying, doot, 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 and then out comes what you want. Or a smorgasbord, right? I'll have some of that, I'll have some of that, let's just leave that out. But that's not what it is. Sometimes prayer requires us to spend extra time seeking God. You know, when I, when I take my concerns to God over and over again, it allows me a connection that sees him in every area of my life. You know, I think we're, we're a generation, we're so microwaved that if something isn't done in two minutes, we're over it and we've moved on. But prayer doesn't work that way. Well, sometimes it does. But usually, it doesn't work that way. The earnest prayer of a righteous person. Notice that it didn't say priest. 
It didn't say pastor. It didn't say prophet. It said person. That means that I am talking to the mamas who are chasing around kids all day. I'm talking to the men and the women that drive off early to work and and work a full day. I'm talking to the teenagers who don't know what life has for them yet. And I am talking to the kids because there is no junior Holy Spirit. There's no toned down Holy Spirit. Kids have the same ability to have fervent prayer as adults do. James 5, 17 and 18, it says, Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, None fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. The full account is actually found in 1 Kings. And I'm going to read a few of the verses there. 1 Kings 18, verse 1. In the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. Verses 41 to 45, it says, Then Elijah said to Ahab, the king, Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, go and look out toward the sea. The servant went and looked, then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told the servant to go and look. Finally, the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. I love that it said that Elijah was as human as we are. He was as human as we are. But he knew the authority that he had in Jesus' name, and he prayed, and he exercised that authority over the rain over the elements. And I love the second time it says, you know, he, he sent somebody out seven times. And I think about myself and I think, okay, if I had somebody that was going to go look for a rain cloud, I'd be like, hey, go look for a rain, rain cloud. And they'd go and they'd come back. I didn't see anything. And I would be like, hmm, kind of rude to ask again. But like, maybe like, let's just check one more time. And so they'd go and they'd come back. And when they said there's nothing there, I'd be like, well, I I guess I heard wrong. I guess that was it. But Elijah sent him six times. He knew, he knew what God had said. And he stood on that. And he sent him six times before the seventh time, finally there was a cloud. And I think a lot of times it's easy for people to read this scripture and say, yeah, but Becca, like you just read the scripture and God spoke. He spoke to Elijah. God doesn't speak to me. He didn't say, Becca, go pray that the sun finally warms up West Michigan. Like, there was no audible anything. And and I think we use that as an excuse not to pray boldly. But we have to remember that we have God's instructions. The Bible, the word of God, is God speaking to us. And we can pray word-based prayers and stand on those. That's Old Testament, right? So let's look at the New Testament. Luke 18, verses 1 to 8 says, One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a certain judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, 
I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to go see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? It takes faith to keep going back, to keep going back, to keep going back. If we look at that scripture, James 5, 16 again, it says, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If there is effective prayer, it means that there's ineffective prayer. And if there's ineffective prayer, what is it? Well, I think there are multiple reasons for ineffective prayer. The first is, we have an incorrect view of who God is. We don't believe that he can and he will. And instead of viewing him as a loving father, we view him as a harsh taskmaster. And if we view God as a harsh taskmaster, we'll be tentative in approaching him. And if we approach him tentatively, we won't pray bold prayers. We have a, a friend, a couple of friends who prayed and prayed for a baby, and they finally got pregnant, and then at the first ultrasound, they found out that the baby had one kidney and it was functioning um, only partially. And so this couple got a group of their friends who were believers, and they said, we need prayer. We need people to be fervent in prayer because we, this baby has to be healthy, you know? And so they, they prayed, and they asked us to pray that she would not be induced, that she would not have an epidural, that she, the baby would pee right away to show that he had functioning, well-functioning kidneys, and that it would be a low bilirubin count. So a few months go by, they go to the hospital, the doctors say, oh man, we do need to induce you, and, and so they get ready, and then they're like, oh, you're too far progressed, we can't induce you. And then she's like, the pain is too bad, I do need an epidural. And they said, you're too far progressed for that, we can't do an epidural. Baby's born, pees right away, and then he is the only baby ever in the history of this hospital to have a zero count for bilirubin. This family, this couple, prayed and prayed and prayed, and they prayed prayers that people listening thought were bold. They were bold prayers and specific. And I, I love that they got their community of faith together to pray with them. Hebrews 4.16 tells us that we are able to come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You are able to come boldly to the throne room of Christ because of what he did for you and in spite of your day-to-day -day failures and mess-ups. He has paid the price for you to be able to approach him boldly. What Jesus did for you grants you access to go anywhere with him. Another reason for ineffective prayer is that we see ourselves incorrectly. Right? We come to God as lowly, poor me, broken, fallen, and, and God doesn't need us to come to him that way. You know, I'm, I'm guilty of that too, but God says he, he wants us, he wants us to demonstrate humility, right? But there's nothing humble about denying the power of what Jesus did for us. There's nothing humble in that. He wants us to come to him victorious. When we chose Jesus, our position became one of set free, seated with Christ, justified through him. We can approach him boldly from a position of victory. In 1 John 5.14, it says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
We need to understand that the whole reason Jesus came and died on the cross was to restore us to our original design. And what was our original design? Think of the garden. Our original design was to have authority and dominion over the earth to care for it. And here we are saying to God, oh, poor me, I'm broken and lowly. And we, we don't need to do that. With the authority that Jesus gave, gave us comes a responsibility to shift the atmosphere around us through prayer. But here's the catch to the authority we have in Jesus' name. If we are not prayed and fasted, if we have not prayed and fasted, we're missing a vital element. In Matthew 17, we read the account of a man who brought his son to Jesus. And he said, you know, my son has a demon, and I brought him to your disciples to cast him out, and they couldn't. And so Jesus casts out the, the demon, and, and then later the disciples say, Jesus, like, what happened? Like, we've done it before. We've, we've cast out demons. We've, we've healed people. We know the authority we have in your, your name. We know the power of your name. What happened? And in verse, in verse 21, Matthew 17, verse 21, it says, this, Jesus says, this kind of demon is cast out only through prayer and fasting. We need to be prayed up to fully access what, what Jesus' uh, name provides. Scripture tells us that there are some things we cannot do without it. And, you know, one of my favorite things about this solution that Jesus offers, prayer and fasting, is think about it. Anyone, anyone can pray and fast. Prayer and fasting isn't reserved for the richest. It isn't reserved for the wisest. It isn't reserved for the people who have been the Christians the longest. It isn't reserved for the... There's no people group that owns prayer and fasting. Anyone, anywhere can pray and fast. And I love that because Jesus is literally taking the restrictions off what we have, the authority we have in his name through prayer by saying, if you choose me, if you pray and if you fast, you have this authority in my name. And I just think that's so cool. Another reason we don't pray effective prayers is because we don't know how to pray. And if this is you and you're like, that's me. Like, I just don't know where to start. You're in good company. Jesus' disciples didn't know how to pray. And so they asked him. And so here's a suggestion. This is a great place to start. Matthew 6, um, verses 9 to 13, it says, this then is how you pray. Our Father, I want you to notice that it's corporate. Because we, we are meant to lift each other up in prayer. Right? Our Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Another suggestion for how to pray is to pray in the Spirit. Romans 8, 26 and 27 tells us that in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I want to say, first of all here, if you have not been filled with the Holy Spirit afterwards when our prayer team is up here, please come forward. There is such a blessing that comes with filling of the Holy Spirit. But one of the things that I love here is that when I pray in my prayer language, it says that my Spirit intercedes based on the will of God. So it's one of the best places to pray because you know you're praying 
the will of God. And it's one of the best places to see things shift in the atmosphere. Another thing to do is to have a prayer journal. Um, prayer journals for me have been phenomenal because I write something down that seems almost inconsequential, and then later I go back after a period of time, and I can look and I can see how faithful God was. That I've forgotten that he's moving, but he's hung on to that prayer that I prayed. And he, he is, he's faithful to bring it through. Another reason our prayers are ineffective is because we don't think it works. We think that if it's God's will, it's just going to happen. But think about it. If it was God's will that it, and it would just happen, then why would he ask us to pray, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven? If God was in control of every minute detail, he would have fixed it all by now. But he wants us to enter into that with him. He wants us to pray alongside him for his will to be done here on earth. Because of that free will, you know, we, we get the ability to partner with God to kick Satan's butt while he's still on earth. You know, a few weeks ago, Samuel reminded us that Satan isn't in hell yet. You know, we think that he's trapped and, and in hell. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And we have authority and dominion over him with our prayers. But if we don't understand that, then we won't pray effective prayers. And here's the thing about our prayers. We think that I'll pray now for this situation, but our prayers have the ability to affect futures, to change futures, and to shift the atmosphere, not just in this generation, but in every generation from here on out. We can pray prayers that don't just affect my family, but that affect my family, that don't just affect our church, but that affect the church from here on out for the rest of history. Our prayers are that effective. We have that much authority in Jesus' name. And here's the deal. God does answer our prayers. He answers with yes, no, or wait. And so often we, we don't think he's answering our prayers because we don't like the answer or because we're, we're looking for that microwave answer, that really fast answer. But we're told to ask Seek not, we're told to be persistent. In Luke 11, we find Jesus teaching his disciples about prayer. And look with me at verses 5 to 10. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, hey, a friend of mine just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked and, and I'm in bed. My family and I are all in bed. We're, we're done for the night. I can't help you, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. We are not supposed to just ask. We're supposed to pursue, um, pray until something happens. So my, my first labor story was just bad. We're just going to kind of like leave that where it is, okay? I was so drugged up that like literally I couldn't feel anything, which was the good part. But I also didn't know who I was, which was the bad part. And literally if you had told me I was a unicorn in charge of seeding planets out of miniature marshmallows, I'd have been like, okay, that sounds, that sounds good. Um, anyhow, I, I had been induced and then my all the drugs just didn't work well in my system. And so I prayed, starting right there in the hospital, I remember praying, if I ever have more kids, God, please, 
I want it to be natural. I want the birth to be natural. I want the birth to be natural. And I stuck with that. And I prayed, and I was fervent about that. And about um, 12 weeks later, I found out that I was pregnant with my second. And I stuck with that prayer. I'm like, I, I'm having a natural birth. Well, February 13th rolls around, and I'm at the doctor's office. And they said, whoa, we got an issue. We are scheduling an induction for 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. And so I just looked at the doctor and said, uh, you can schedule your induction, but I'm having the baby tonight. And he laughed at me. He laughed at me. Like, he's like, you're, you're not ready for inducing you at 6 tomorrow morning. And I remember looking over at the, the um, medical student who was standing right there, and she had a bracelet on with push on it, P-U-S-H. And I, I laughed, and I said, well, that's kind of a bit ironic to wear in an OB clinic, right? I said, what does it mean? And she said, it means pray until something happens. And we looked at her and we said, that's what we're going to do. So I called my mom and I said, you better start heading over from Wisconsin. They said, I'm going to have the baby by 6 a.m. I'm having the baby before. And so we headed to the hospital at 2.15 in the morning and she was born naturally at 2.50. Pray until something happens. By the way, the med student got in that day and she's like, you weren't kidding. And I have the bracelet. She gave me the bracelet. Isn't that cool? Anyhow, some of us give up too easily. In Matthew chapter 15, there's an account of a woman who refuses to give up. She comes to Jesus and says, my daughter is demon-possessed and, like, we need her healed. And you know what Jesus does? He calls her a dog. But she persists. She persists and her daughter gets healed. In Matthew 9, there's a woman who persists in pursuing Jesus and she gets close enough to him to touch his garment and she draws something out of him. And Jesus looks at her and he says that her faith has made her well because she pursued, she persisted, she went after him. We need to have a tenacity that outlasts our microwave tendencies. We need to continue to pray. In Daniel chapter 12, verses 10, or 12 to 13, we're told of a vision that Daniel had. And in the vision, um, an angel visited him and said, Daniel, since you first began praying 21 days ago, God has heard your prayers. But there has been a holdup in the spiritual realm. And so sometimes we give up praying because we don't think we're hearing anything. But you have to keep praying because you don't know what's happening in the spiritual realm over you. You don't know what's happening. Stick with it. God, God is always moving. And he's always moving in a way that allows us to get closer to him. Always. He is never moving away from you. He is always moving closer. And, that, and proximity to God should be our priority because it changes us. It gives us a comfort and a confidence. It's fascinating. I'm going to read this part because I literally cannot say all of the studies that I read but it's fascinating. Um, secular institutions are all putting out studies that prayer, being near to God, has undeniable physiological benefits for each of us. NYU did a study of alcoholics and found that those who prayed were far more able to manage their cravings for a drink. Harvard Med did a study of people who have long periods of prayer, and they found that it slows the heart rate, decreases blood pressure, creates a physiological state correlated with slower brain waves, feelings of control, tranquil alertness, and peace of mind. This is significant because studies show that over half of all doctor visits in the U.S. today are prompted by illnesses like depression, high blood pressure, ulcers, and migraine headaches that are caused at least in part by elevated levels of stress and anxiety. A study out of the University of Pennsylvania on Franciscan nuns found that they have increased dopamine levels, dopamine levels, 
Do you know what that means? It means they're happier than you. Franciscan nuns. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, there was a study down by, done by the National Institute of Health that found that people who pray daily are 40% less likely to have a high blood pressure. What we focus on matters as well, because a study out of Bowling Green State University instructed one group of people who suffer from migraines to meditate 20 minutes each day repeating a spiritual affirmation, such as God is good, God is peace, God is love. The other group used a non-spiritual mantra, grass is green, sand is soft. The spiritual meditators had fewer headaches and more tolerance for pain than those who had focused on the neutral phrases. See, when they start studying the human body in labs, they find that people who are closer to God, not just people who clear their minds, but people who are closer to God have less anxiety and less depression. Your body was designed to be in conversation with God, your body. You know, what we're seeing in society today is a massive uptick in anxiety and depression. And there was a... Um, the nationwide Pew Research study that was done a few years ago that said that now in America, one in four adults does not believe in God and has no spiritual affiliation. 62% of those never pray. We have this massive uptick in anxiety and depression. And science is showing us that connection to God brings that down. All of these reports think that they've discovered these correlations which is funny because the word has said it. We've known this for millennium, right? They just, they're just finally documenting it physiologically, right? We've known it. We are built for proximity to God. and We don't function right apart from him. Our culture is trying to tell us, though, that there's no need for prayer. Our microwave society is substituting prayer for Instagram scrolling or Netflix binge watching, which, hey, guilty here, right? But we used to, as a society, have quiet. We used to have peaceful nights where we'd seek God. We used to go to bed without screens and listen to what God had to say to us. Instead, we, play, we replace it with a Facebook feed of constant negativity and comparisons. Now, here's one thing. When we pray, we're not to make it a show. Matthew 6, 5 says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. Jesus' problem was not with praying in public. I, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I didn't sin when I opened in prayer. James didn't sin when he prayed over the needs of the congregation. Jesus prayed in public, right? And I mean, the first church of Acts, it says all the time that they prayed aloud together, the first church. And David prayed aloud in front of the congregation of all of Israel. So the problem isn't with praying in public. The problem is the motivation that they may be seen. If the only time that I am praying is in public, do you know what that is? That's PDA. It's a public display of affection, right? Now, if, I, if you look on my Instagram account later, you might see a picture of Samuel and I holding hands. You might, now I'm going to have to put one up because <laughs> you won't. <laughs> okay, anyhow, you might see a picture of Samuel holding hands with me or of us giving each other a hug, but you won't see a picture of the public or of the act of intimacy because that's weird. But you see the fruit of that. One fruit that 
that tells you that there's intimacy in a marriage is children. The fruit that tells you there's intimacy in your relationship with God is a peace that passes all understanding. It's a confidence that God said he would and he will and I'm going to stick with it. God wants the intimacy, not just the PDA. He doesn't, he doesn't want to be used by us. He wants to be in relationship with us. If there's the PDA, but no real intimacy, then there's no real relationship. And we need to not just be out doing things in Jesus' name, but we need to do the quiet, secret things to build that relationship with God. Because if the only, if the only time that somebody puts any effort into a relationship with me is when they want to get something out of it, I will tell you what that relationship is. Over. You know, and thankfully, God isn't petty like me, right? He knows the limits of our humanity, but he wants a relationship with us more than how we look to others or what we can get out of it. Before we close out service, I want to let you know that if this message is hitting a nerve with you, that if, if you're like Beck, that's great, but I've done it. I've done it for years. I've done it for decades. I've done it for months. We are going to have a prayer team down here. And before, you know, I, I said our Father. I, uh, in that prayer, it's, it's corporate. Our faith is meant to be corporate. And so if you are worn out praying for something, come forward afterwards. Get prayer. Because we are meant to do this together. We're meant to carry each other's burdens. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.